but I was I was the fighter there. You know, yeah. I was like, you know, I was um I was trying to win competitions. I, I didn't care about it being fights. I was trying to win competitions. But because I, you submitted everybody, you used to finish yeah. everybody. And, and, and winning wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to, right. to submit them. I wanted to finish right. them. I wanted them to be like, oh, please let me go. Yeah. Like I just I like that you know like the the domination part of it to just go out there and just you know, like doesn't matter. So there's some kid that's like this badass wrestler. He's right. looking at me like this little scrawny kid, yeah. little gangly sixteen year old kid, and I'm just I'm gonna murder you. I'm gonna choke you. My name is John, and this is please allow me. Today we got to talk to 27-time UFC veteran, winner of 15 UFC Performance of the Night bonuses, and one of the OGs of a constantly growing New England MMA scene. He's been fighting professionally since 2004, he's the co-owner of Lozon MMA, and he's only had one sip of alcohol in his entire life. Please allow me to introduce Joe Lozon. Joe, what's happening? First of all, fucking gym looks awesome. Thank you. We've uh, come a long way in uh, the New England MMA scene from rooms with some uh, folding gymnastics mats to real life cages and training centers, which is kind of what you got going on here. Do you remember the Bridgewater gym? I remember the Bridgewater gym. It was gym. so bad. Yeah. It was so bad. We were up on the second floor. I had to go up like this, the longest thing of stairs ever. It smelled like crap. Uh, we've come a long way. You're right. How's your perspective changed since, um, well, first of all, what a lot of people don't know is I actually fought with you on your pro debut in 2004. Was that your pro debut, Dave Gilrain? Uh, so Massachusetts was weird. It was right? weird. It was weird. So like yeah. at, at some point, the fights, nothing changed about the fights, but they went from amateur to pro. But on my right. record, yes, that was my first, that was my first pro fight. Yeah. And did you have actual amateur fights before that, that they called amateur fights? Uh, I had seven fights before that fight. So I was taking okay. my eighth fight. So that was my third fight, and that was at, uh, what was that, like the Avalon? Is that the House of Blues now? I don't know what it is now, but it was definitely Avalon. Yeah. yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah, those were the good old days. Good old days. Um, so a lot's happened since then. Yep. And you went from kind of being like this teenage kid who people were talking about on like the limited internet forums at the time to now, how many UFC fights you got, 27? 20, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and how many Too bonuses many. you got? A lot. Six, 16, 17, I don't know. A lot, yeah. a lot. Too That's a lot. It's a perspective shift. It's got to be from being a teenage kid doing that and kind of bouncing around and fighting. Would you go up to fight Ivan Menjavar in Canada yep, one time? Montreal. And now you're kind of like the godfather figure in the New England MMA scene. It's weird. It's weird. How's it's your perspective weird. changed, um, you know, given that growth? So I think it, it, it's a little bit strange because when I first started fighting, no one knew anything about anything. Right? right, like there was there was basically Team Elite, which yep. was like Keith Raquel, Neri, uh, Matt Lee, Mike Brown. You know that was uh, George Rivera. That was like the only like real guys that like, had like reputable guys whatsoever outside of New England. Matt Sung Lee, Dude, all those guys. So, um, so like they were like the real like super team of New England. And other than that, it right. was all a bunch of guys that were like had like very little skill, which is basically just tough guys, brawler right. guys that would, you know, guy, you know, would fight at a bar, would go and, you know, fight at a May show. And, you know, as time's gone on now, it's it's changed dramatically, but it was kind of the blind leading the blind in the beginning. That, that's now, how I remember it too. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like now I've been there, I've done a lot of it, which is why I'm able to kind of, you know, help out everyone mm -hmm. else and kind of, you know, hopefully they learn from my experiences, you know, good and right. bad. But I think I remember thinking, even though 
So MMA happened when MMA happened, and we can't help the fact that you yep. were 18 and I was 28 when it yep. would, like started happening. But I do remember thinking that we would be the first generation of guys who wound up teaching that actually had experience yes. going through the whole thing. Yeah. Yep. Because for, for me, my coaches were kind of piecing it together. Yep. No one knew anything about athletic no commissions idea. Yeah. Yeah, or any of that stuff. I got like, I remember I came and like, and Letitia was still part of the yep. athletic commission yep. back then, like handing in medical records. I didn't know how to get an AIDS test. <laughs> Who knew how to get an AIDS test back in 2001? You, I don't know if you were there that night, but uh, my the first night I fought was at the, my first amateur fight. Was it the, um, I was in Taunton. I forget the name of the place. But Matrix. Was it the Matrix? It was. The real mm. shitty bar. Yeah, yeah, okay. It yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. So the Matrix in Taunton. And, you know, so like they were coming from a boxing background, Letitia uh-huh. and these other people. Like, right. They're coming from a boxing background, right? Right. And so in, in boxing, amateurs, they have to wear T-shirts or some kind of tank top. Yep. And pros are not allowed to wear T-shirts. Right. So they come in, you know, like they're puffing their chest up. They're like, okay, all all amateur fighters must wear T-shirts. You know, and then Matt Santos, I think, uh, is like, hey, uh, so if we have to wear T-shirts, you know, can we can we choke them with T-shirts? He's like, he's like, what do you mean choke someone with a T-shirt? He's like... We come from jujitsu backgrounds. Like we can yeah. do chokes, and she's like immediately like went from like oh everyone has to wear a t shirt by the book to all right nobody is allowed to wear t shirts. Do like, you re- do you remember like back in the Wild Naga West. days there was like a there was a you could choke people with their t shirts in Nogi and Naga. Yep. And so then people started to like snip the they would the, cut the t shirt. Yeah, yeah, they would cut exactly. it so yep. that it would just rip off. Yep. And then we would learn like from closed guard you'd reach down yep. and roll the shirt up so you yep. basically make a uh, a rope yep. with the, the seam of the shirt and and choke people out dude t- t- uh, i think it was tiger showman they would have all their kids do geese and like sleeveless geese or short sleeve geese that's badass so there was no there was no regulation like you know now it's like okay there's requirements but back then i was like oh you wear a gi you don't wear a gi i remember like it, my first naga was actually before it was naga it was nega it was the new england grappling association yep, I remember that. yep. And it was like their third ever event. And they were just, there were just three weight classes. It was like small guys, middle guys, and heavy guys. And no one gave a fuck what you wore in either division. It was kind of like the Wild West. And when I tell my guys about that now, uh, it's almost like they're in disbelief when they hear that stuff. People don't believe some of the things. Like I fought, uh, I fought um, down in Florida and I warmed up in a fucking like storage locker. Yeah. It was literally outside. Like it was like, you know, middle of summer, hot as balls out. I warmed up in a storage locker. My, I remember my first fight was at the Matrix, and I remember they like switched the opponent on me minutes before the fight, of because that's just what happened yep, back then. Of course, you couldn't yeah. say no. Yep. You know, because you're there. Me. My first amateur fight. That's what happened. Yeah. I fought main event. Because yeah, we were thanks. there to fight, yep. not to win an athletic competition. Exactly. Yep. And I remember that we warmed up in a room, and there were literal two by fours with nails and rusty screws sticking up, and they're like, "Hey guys, watch the renovations over here." And I'm just like, I don't even know how to warm up. Did you ever fight at Club Lido in Revere? I never fought Club Lido. Okay, no. so we the way Lido was is it was a dance club, right? So like there was like right. one part where they would have the fights, and there was like a bar. So we would have like basically the bar area to warm up earlier in the night. But then once it got to be like eight nine o'clock, they started letting open in the bar. Yeah, they would start like kind of like kicking us out. So we'd be like sitting there hitting mitts, and, right? And, you know, grappling a little. We couldn't really grapple, but wrestling a little bit. And then there'd be people coming in and like giving us dirty looks, like you know, nudging us with elbows yeah. as they're getting their shots, and it was crazy. That's how Royale was when we we had a couple of guys fight at Royale uh, in the theater district, and yep. it was like that. You're literally warming up in like the little booths where people are getting ready yep. to come in and drink. Yeah, it's insane. And that was what year was the Gannon Kimbo fight? I was in college. It was my sophomore year, so it must have been like 2003, 2004. Well, you were there, right? Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. How did that take shape? Um, so it was so 2004. The underground 
the underground was like the king of, of right. underground street fights <laughs> and all sorts of stuff and mixed martial arts. And no one really cared about it, right? It was Sherdog right. and the underground. And uh, so Kimbo Slice was, someone was posting all his fights all the time. And then Sean Gannon was, was a Boston cop saying he wanted to fight him and like started basically melting off. Someone from Kimbo's crew, all of his brother or someone like posted like, oh, let's make this happen. So they flew up to an undisclosed location. Uh, yeah. You, you weren't there for that? No, somehow I missed that. I remember okay. like it, it, it came place. together quick. Yeah. It was literally like one o'clock and I got a, a call like, you want to go watch Gannon and Kimbo fight? We're leaving right now. You you Got strike it. me as the type of kid that has a secret video of that or something. I do have a secret video of that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where the camera is though, but I did have do my you own. really not? I really have no idea. I, I had my own angle because so I went, so I went to Wentworth. So I, I, I drove to the secret location, Rhode Island. <laughs> uh, and you know, the fight happened. I have, I had a, an angle of it. You can see it on the, all the ones that are, you know, public. Right. You, can, you can see me sitting there holding my camera, yeah. see my big ears. And then, um, so I get back there to Wentworth and I'm telling all my, you know, I was living in like a suite. So I know it was my suite, my, my sophomore year. And I'm telling all these guys about this thing. So I, I put on my computer and they're in like disbelief that this is where I just came from <laughs> because they know that I fight and they, I do MMA, but now it's like, okay, I'm, I'm bringing like this brawl. Now they guys can see slugging it. it out barefisted. Uh, so it's crazy. Um, you know, and then the next morning I wake up and then it's the buzz around the school because it's a picture of Gannon with his face all effed up and just blood everywhere. And it's like the front page of the Herald. As you as you understand the rules that they set forth for that fight, because yep. people dispute it now. Yep. Because it, in hindsight, there, you lose a lot exactly. of details. Yep. Who really, based on their rules, who won that fight? 100% Gannon. Like you can't, there, there's no dispute at all. So there, there were very limited rules on what was allowed. Right. right? Um, but one of the things they said was like, you know, you, you weren't supposed to, you know, there's no grappling or whatever, right? Right. But- Kimbo shot a takedown. Right. He, like he was second, exhausted. Yeah. And, and and Gannon really wasn't choking him. You know, it's right. like, you know, when someone shoots on you, you get, you're up in like a front lock position. Yeah, you're on the neck. Right. But he wasn't choking him. Chin strap. And then, yeah, chin strap. And then, you know, so then the, you know, now Kimbo's guys all want to jump in and interfere. Yeah. And then, you know, and then now Gannon's like, oh, I guess I could choke him here a little bit. And then he, he gave it a little <laughs> extra squeeze, but he was never, it was never a choke. It was, it was, you know, he, he was sprawling on him. Yeah. The, the videos that surfaced from that were, Awesome. And I think that nowadays when, as Kimbo kind of like had a more recent career than Gannon did in, in the UFC, I think uh, people kind of forget about that. And that was like, that was at the height of the UG, which for people who don't know what the UG is, it was uh, a forum on MMA.TV, which is now mixed martial arts. Submissionfighting.com before that. Submissionfighting.com. Yep. Yeah. And uh, that was, there was a time where you could log on to that and you could have a conversation I could talk to you. I could talk to Tito Ortiz. I could talk to any number of like up Joe and coming Rogan, Dana White, Joe Rogan. Yeah, everyone was on there. Yeah. What happened to that place? Um, I think that they kind of it, it's it's kind of a hard thing to kind of like foster and nurture a little bit, right. right? It's like because you get all these these assholes, really, right? It's right. It's like the right. assholes and all these trolls that are constantly now you have direct access to people that brings right. in more people and just you can't maintain can't maintain the chaos. Yeah, I mean there were some good conversations on there. They uh, still have a uh, a really good Facebook, but they post all kinds of like awesome like street fight videos. And, oh, really? Like, they, they, their their Facebook presence is really really good. They have like a few, like, maybe four, five, six, seven, eight million people on. on really? Facebook. Yeah, they have a huge Facebook. Oh, yeah. Who even knew? I got to yeah. get on that. Yeah. Uh, when you were coming up, and MMA was uh, a new sport, there are a lot of things that I know that when I was fighting, I really enjoyed outside the cage. Mm -hmm. I loved me. I loved a good after party. I loved some um, <laughs> ring girls that possibly had daddy issues. Uh, I loved all that stuff. You seem to have never gotten caught up in any of that. How did you do it? Uh, so I never drank. Never. Ever. In my ne entire life. I've had a one sip of one thing one time uh, because I was pressured. 
the shady strip club down in uh, Connecticut, New Jersey, somewhere. Yeah, um, that's where shit happens. Yeah, shady strip. Goes like drink this. I'm like, ah, not a drink. Like, drink it. I'm like okay, I took a sip of it. <laughs> Pretty sure I didn't have alcohol in it, anyways. But no, so but I just never, I never drank. So like I would go to you know for everyone's going to after parties, whatever. Right. Oh, let's go. Let's go find burgers somewhere. Like let's go yeah. find pizza. Let's go. You know. I would get out of, or I would, because some promoters weren't so good, I would make a mad dash to the ATM to deposit my check. Yeah. Because, you know, like the, the first, like, you know, half the checks are going to clear. The, the second half are not. So right. I would make sure I was going to get my money. That was a, that was always interesting. They'd pay you. You'd have to open the envelope. First, is this the amount that we agreed yeah, upon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The second, is this check going to clear? Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Marshall was notorious for uh, not having I checks would, clear. I knew right where the ATM was, right in Alito. <laughs> in 20 minutes, it was in my, in my account. So in in retrospect, now that MMA is a mainstream sport, people think of it like um, almost regionally, like which fighters come from which areas. And I think that especially in New England, when people say New England MMA, they're they're always going to think Joe Lozon, no question about it. Yep. But people forget that a couple years older than you, Kenny had a really good run too. Kenny Florian, who's yep. also from this area, um, he's gone on to do other things. You're still fighting, so they they associate you, I think, a little bit more intrinsically with the MMA scene. But you actually fought Kenny back in the day. Yep. Was there um, any sort of extracurricular or maybe like extra motivation in that fight for you to say, okay, we're the two big guns from New England in terms of MMA? One of us is going to come out, and the other one is going to look like they got beat up. So Kenny, Kenny had a bunch of advantages on me, right? So he had more right. fights in the UFC. He was a little bit older. Like I was right. like twenty two or something, twenty three. Like I was, I was young. He was, he was older than me. So he had more man muscle. Not yep. that either one of us are hulking either way. But, yeah. but um, you know, really good jujitsu, black belt jujitsu. I was like a white belt. Right. And um, so like when they first off the fight, I'm like, why this fight makes no sense? Why would I ever, like? He's he's right. in my backyard. Why do we have to fight each other? There's there's so many other people we could possibly fight, and but nope, that was what they wanted, right? So like, um, so it was it was definitely like a little bit of extra motivation. Didn't help, but right. Um, there's definitely a little motivation because now I'm like I'm the shitty guy from New England, right? It's like right. I lost to Kenny, like which which sucks, but um, but I think that people think about me more so when they're talking about New England, just because uh, I didn't leave. You know, like Kenny, he's right. out in LA now. He's right. got a school out there. Um, you know, he 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 kind of bounced around, did some other things. Um, and I've just, I've been here. Like I'm still cornering guys. I'm still training guys. I'm right. still working with guys. You know, like every, every Saturday we're here at my gym and all the guys in New England, they're always here and we're always getting ready and I'm, I'm, I'm helping them out. And you know, so I think I'm, I think that's what kind of helps. And me. you're, you're a very level-headed guy as far as I know. And leading up to that fight, was there any extra motivation, any extra drama, any backstory to that fight? I know both you guys have brothers. Uh, so yeah. So you, you know, <laughs> teeing this up for I'm me. I'm trying to tease it out of yeah. here. So the big thing was that, like, I had said in an interview that, like, and I, I didn't mean it disrespectfully, right? But he was right. a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I was a white belt because I don't train gi. I never right. train gi to that point. I'm <laughs> a black belt now. We're black belt now. But, um, but I never trained the gi. So I was like, oh, like, I, you know, like, and I said in an interview, and I wasn't even saying anything like bad. I'm like, well, right. he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Technically, I'm a white belt in jiu-jitsu, but I want to see how my white belt compares, you know, compared to his black right. belt, right? And I didn't mean nothing about it. She said, like, I don't train in the gi. Right. And they took some offense to that, right? And then they also took some offense. We we made a video, right? So like it's a pretty we we thought it was gonna be like a funny little buzzer video, like kinda and they took it really, really poorly. But basically Kenny would walk down in like a he'd walk down in his gi with like a samurai hat and he'd carry a sword. Right? Right. Which would never fly now. You gotta wear Reebok stuff, you right, can't have exactly. props, you can, like it would never fly now. But that's what he used to do. And then he had this whole thing of like, I finish fights, I finish fights, I finish fights, right? I Which, do remember that. He wasn't finishing that many fights. 
<laughs> at the time. Like he he had a couple of rear naked choke finishes. Right. But he wasn't finishing a ton of fights. It's not usually when you think of a guy that's like, oh, I finished fights. He being someone's like a hundred percent finish rate or right. something like that, right? Um, but he did not have that, right? So like we thought it was a little bit funny because at the time I had finished hundred percent of my of my professional wins. Hmm. I think I had like one fight now where I won by decision, but other than that, I finished every single professional fight I've had except for, for right. one. So um, so it was a little bit weird to me. So like, we just trying to be funny. We filmed right. a video. We got my brother. We're in uh, Colorado for the fight. It's fight week. We're just bored. We're just right. stupid Sitting kids. In the hotel We're sitting in a hotel room. Nothing to do. We put my brother. Not drinking. Not drinking. Uh, I put my brother in a bathrobe, took a, a shade from a lamp, put it on his head. <laughs> and we didn't have a sword, but we had a hairdryer. So yeah. we made a video of Danny like walking down the hallway, like he's walking to the ring. And then coming in the coming in the room, like I finished fights and just like it was short. It was like maybe like a forty five second video or something, right? And we were just bored, like trying to you know have fun, like kill time in the, in the hotel room. It was just whatever. And I guess they took some offense to that. Was I remember also back in the day, like the tap out show was one of the first like real vehicles for yep. up and coming fighters. And I remember I think they did a show. Did they did they feature Danny on one of them? So so Kenny was sponsored by Tap Out. Mark Delagradi from Sigatong was sponsored by Tap Out. Right. He had a good relationship with that's those guys. right. So they came in and I think I. I was in Hawaii at the time. I was always training with BJ Penn. But so Tapo contacts my brother, contacts us. They want to do, you know, they want to do an episode of my right. brother and say this stuff. And basically they, they took the opportunity to like, basically like they badgered Danny to going up to sit your tongue and train. Right. And like, see, this is where you should be training. This is what a real gym does. You don't want to train like in Bridgewater. You know, like they, right. they edited things super bad. Like Joe Pomper, who's my coach, who's the best guy ever. Right. He was like, you know, he was in frame. And he's like, hey, has anyone seen Danny? He really didn't know where Danny was, but Danny was like way behind him, like walking past. Right. Just like they, they went out of their way to make us look really, really bad. Right. So I got pissed about that too. So we called gotcha. them on that. It, it was just, it was just stupid. That that was a time when like as MMA was growing, it seemed like people. You said you were out with BJ for a little while. Guys who are from areas that are like to per- perceive the smaller market areas, a lot of times. Yep. People look for the new shiny toy, and then they go out to these big camps, and they think, oh, well, this guy's having success, and this is the camp he's at, so the coaching must be great, so that must be what I need. But you never did that. You always stayed around here outside of, like, a little trip out with BJ. Yep. So I I trained a good amount in Hawaii with BJ, right? Because basically he was my coach on the Ultimate Fighter, and then I, I did the show. I went back to work. I fought on the finale. I went back to work. And B, it was right when he started BJPen.com. And he's like, right. call me. I was like, Joe, come out to Hawaii. Come out to Hawaii. Come out and train. And like, who doesn't want to go out to Hawaii and train? And, and have like this, you got like this, you know, uh, one of the lightweight goats of all time. Yep. And, you know, now it's, okay, he's calling me out there every single day on his on his, on his, right. his Facebook and his website. and everything. So I had to go. Like, who wouldn't want to go do that? You know, so like I quit my job. Went out there for like, you know, I was I was there more than I was not for like six months. Had an awesome time out there. Yep. Learned a ton about jujitsu, learned a ton about training, kind of saw how he was doing things and, you know, took the parts that I liked, you know, discarded the parts I didn't like. Uh, and it was awesome, you know, but I never really went to one of those big gyms because like, say like a gym like American Top Team, right? And right. some people have great results going to American Top Team, right? How many good coaches at American Top Team? A lot, for sure. There's right. a lot of guys, right? But how many fighters are there? They must have over 100 fighters, right. professional fighters in the UFC on the roster. Right. They probably have like a third of the roster. You right. know, it's like they don't have a, that pr- uh, proportionate amount of coaches that are there. So it's okay. So you go to America Top Team. What's going to happen? You're going to be the the sparring fodder for their better guys. Yep. Um, you're not going to get the one-on-one attention. You know, you're going to be kind of just like kind of grouped in. I think in the very beginning, it made a little bit more sense because like if you're in New England, there was no one to possibly train right. with. But I was of the mindset of like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to build my own team here. You know, like I saw BJ do it in Hawaii, get a lot of good training partners there. And a lot of them were his guys have been training for a long time. I'm like, I'm going to do my very best, uh, the best of my ability to try and build up all these guys in New England. And I'm not going to have to go to this other place. Right. I'm going to build it at home. 
And so you don't you never viewed those big camps as having superior coaching? No. It's mostly about sparring partners. It's, it's good for sparring partners, and, and 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 some of those have great coaches. You might have the best right. coaches, right? But like, how much how much of their time are you going to get? Right. You know what I mean? Like like I think Steve Mays is a great coach. You know, right. and I have a hundred percent of Steve Mays's time. You know, maybe there's someone that's like maybe a little bit better than C Mays, but now I get five percent of his time. Like, right. how is that even? It's not even com- comparable. Right. You so know? you'd rather not have a diluted superior product, yes. even even if it is a. And little I still bit think, and I think you know, I, I think it doesn't matter whether you're here or you're in Florida, or whatever. Everyone's doing the same thing. Right. Like there's there's enough. It's so easy to you know send a, a video or send a text or, or call or something like that to just kind of explain what's going on. Training partners, I think, are a little bit. They matter a little bit more. Yeah. Which is why everyone comes here on Saturdays. It's not right. like we don't. I'm not saying I'm the best about teaching everyone, right? But I just I got I got the best room. Well, I also think that there's a part of the equation when you're learning martial arts from someone that people forget about, and they always want to look to the instructor, the instructor. But a student never wants to take any accountability, yep. right? There's an amount of material that's presented to you in yep. a way that you know, hopefully, you're able to digest it. But you got to still work to digest it. Yep. Like just showing up and like staring at the wall and waiting for live goes is not the way I to. I can't tell the number of guys that have like they show up and then they they half ass it or they're taking every round off or they're doing whatever or like right. people come to like a grappling class and they're scrolling Instagram on the side of the mat and they're not like oh I was there for grappling motherfucker you were, you were physically yeah. here but you didn't do anything you didn't work on anything like you have to like um, I'm also a big fan of like when things go right it's my coaches when things go wrong it's me totally I think that is like the, the one of the biggest things you know you can have you know one of the best mindsets because so many people are like so quick to be like oh well this guy didn't do this to me and this guy didn't do this to me and this guy didn't. take some responsibility do it I'm, yourself I'm not scrolling Instagram I just have my notes here. <laughs> it's okay it's yeah. okay it's we, don't okay. Even, we don't even allow people to have their phones in the training area at my gym I, so I don't care because I think everyone's gonna you know get out of it what they put into it if they want right. to come here and they want to scroll Instagram that's fine but I promise you I'm not giving you any extra time. But sometimes people need a nudge. Like there maybe, and I agree with you for the most part. If you're someone who just wants to come into the gym and be on Instagram, yep. then that's just going to be your fate. You're going to be one of these guys who never gets better. But someone might need to be told, put the phone down and concentrate here. Like as a student, you have a job to do also. And I think there is a, there, there is a small number of those people who need a little bit extra motivation. And then once you get them in the system and you get them moving, they understand how it works. But without a doubt, there are tons of students that come in and they think, just showing up and going to a jiu-jitsu class is a silver bullet for all of their physical problems. Yeah, and it's it's definitely not a silver bullet, you know. But I, but I don't mind like Instagram. Like we have like uh, so like Connor Matthews is, is is here. He's one of our better right. guys, right? Very very good fighter. Will very likely get to the UFC very soon. Um, you know he, he's got a good Instagram game. Like he's, he does all yep. kinds of stuff. Like I don't mind if he's there, if he puts in the work, but then he's also doing Instagram. That that doesn't bother me at all. Right. What I don't like is the guy that doesn't put in the work, right? And if the guy right. doesn't put in the work, that's fine. You go on Instagram all you want. I don't give two shits because I'm not going to give you any extra time. To me, it's a guy like, so if you get a guy, one guy like Connor Matthews who yep. does the Instagram shit yep. and puts in the work, you might get 10 people who do the Instagram shit and then don't put in the work and then say, hey, Connor's doing it. I can do it too. They're going to get smashed by Connor. They're going to get smashed by Let Connor. Them. You can do it. You know, like, there's, there's a time and place. If, if they want to be a paying member and they want to pay to come here and sit here and scroll Instagram, that's fine. You know, I think the guys that get best, the guys that, like, they get there early, they want to stay after class, they're asking questions. Like, I think those guys are getting the best bang for their buck. They want to show up and not take advantage of the environment. That's okay. That doesn't bother me. Do you think that without social media, gyms like this would have a harder time existing as a viable revenue stream for the gym owners? Because I really believe, and I say this all the time, at the probably to my own detriment, I'll bet you two-thirds of my, member, my members at my gym 
go only so that they can post that they go to the gym on Instagram. They might, they might, you know, like, so one, one of our big things for the gym, so everyone, everyone does like, they, they market things differently, right? They, yep. they, they figure out what they're going to spend money on. Like, I don't run any Facebook ads. I know you run Facebook ads, yep. you do Google and stuff like that. Like we don't do any of that. Right. right? And I think that we're an exception, right? Cause obviously like I have, I have a really good name. So that helps, you know, people right. looking for us. Um, but I have like an awesome team that they, they, they take photos from me every single week yep. and we, we post photos. So like we'll post, like we'll get like 200 photos. They'll come for like two hours. They'll get like two or 300 photos. We just watermark them all. We, we upload them all to our Facebook groups yep. and then everyone wants to see photos of them training. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, they, they, they're, you know, it's kickboxing or grappling or jitsu or something like that. Like we get good photos of everyone. They right. just go and they save the photos. They go and they post on their own Instagram, their own Facebook. And then, you know, it's like, it's, it's the best. It's like, I don't have to, I'm not paying for ads. I would rather pay to have content created of my right. guys and, and they, they want to tell their friends about what they do. Yeah. And when, like in the city where I am, I mean, we're in very different geographical locations. I know that in some cities, like I've been out, like before the pandemic hit, if you go to Chicago, there are jujitsu gyms that basically serve as kind of like a, a, a spin studio for guys. Like they go in at five o'clock, they do their one hour class and they leave and there's no community based yep. uh, interaction. There's no idea that I'm doing, I'm, I'm undertaking an endeavor that I want to improve that. And it really kind of um, epitomizes the idea that in my opinion, to a degree, martial arts, specifically jujitsu and the, the arts that we kind of came up with, it's no longer an endeavor that people pursue. It's a, it's a service that they consume. Yep. And I think that there are two different ways to approach learning. And therefore we have to change our approach to teaching people like that. Do you have a difficult time? Cause I know I do reconciling when you get a room full of 40 or 50 students of varying physical and mental attributes and totally different goals, disseminating information to that same group, or do you just cut everybody into to their own their own classes? So I try to when I'm teaching to a class, I try to teach to like the the lowest common denominator, right? right. So it's like I want to give good basics, and I, I'm I'm talking generally about like they're they're here for grappling, they're doing like a grappling right. class, right? So I aim it at grappling, right? And so that's what I do, right? And and obviously like you could break down any move into like 30 pieces, right? right? Like it's like, okay, so you're not going to teach 30 pieces when you teach it though. Like you're going to give them like 15 or 12 or something right. like that. Right. And then as you make your way around the room, you start filling in those gaps more, right? Because mm-hmm. this person needs this, and this person needs this. And then, so at that point, that's when I have to make adjustments on my classes. Right. So yep. it goes from like, okay, I give everyone kind of like the, 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 the boilerplate kind of like, this is an arm lock from guard. Yep. And then I get around to Connor Matthews. I'm like, okay, well, when we're doing MMA, this is how I hook the glove. This right. is how I slap him in the right, ear. Right, right. This is how I do this. And kind of like, we, we kind of like, you know, flesh it out from there, you know, but I, I, I don't have trouble though with it, with a different group. You know what I mean? Like I try to just teach to everyone. Um, it used to be, we we're talking about this the other day. It used to be like, you know, our guys that have been around for a long time, they're really good. One, because they've been training for so long, right. but two, it's because they were really freaking tough to start with. If right. they weren't, they wouldn't have stuck around. You know, it used to just be like, you know, like, oh, you know, you're, you know, go in the deep end. Hopefully you survive. See you in six months. If, if you're here for six months, you'll be really, really good. If you're not here in six, if you're not here in six months, cause you washed out and you, you weren't going to cut it. Right. Whereas now it's like, it's a little bit more like, you got to balance that. You got to balance it. Right. Cause you're running a business. You right. know what I mean, it does me no good to have, you know, like, Oh, I got, I have a hundred guys. I have a hundred students, but they're all badasses. Right. Right. Versus, okay. Now I have 300 students and they're not all badasses but I have 300 paying members now. Right. So you got to kind of find that balance. Your right? landlord doesn't care that your students are bad right. asses. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's never a case of like, oh, like I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to, you know, cater to, you know, them so they're cream puffs. They're not. Like I'm like, I try to make everything hurt. Like I mean, I try to make everything. I want them <laughs> miserable. Like it's like, oh, yeah. first day, okay, let me teach you a 10 finger guillotine. Yeah. You know, like it's, um, they get it, you know, but we're just, we're a little bit uh, more controlled with how we, we kind of structure things. Yeah. I can remember like coming up in our gym was, we had like six guys at first and like all six of them were tough. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yes. And then what happened was another gym opened 
And then three of our tough guys went to that gym, and then yep. kind of like five softer guys came yes. to the existing gym. Yep. And so they kind of just get a little bit watered down. That's one of the things I have a problem with, especially when I teach, is understanding that not everybody is not everybody wants to be coached. They yep. want to be taught. And there's, yep. a, there's a huge difference between teaching someone yes. something and coaching someone. Yep. To, to me, too, it's also like you got to find that balance, right? Like, yeah. am I trying to make you the best possible competitor I can? Or am I trying to entertain you? Or right. am I trying to just include you and kind of teach you so you have an understanding? Like, there's, it's very, everyone's got different needs, you know? So you can't, like, the way I, I've been training for a long time, right? It's very rare that someone gives me something, like, brand new that I haven't seen right. before. It happens sometimes, but it's, it's pretty rare. But what I get better at is from, like, taking something that I kind of know already and repping the hell out of it so right. I get, like, razor sharp with it, you know? Whereas someone else, like, if they, they don't, they've never seen anything, you right. know, they don't want to drill, you know, this same move a thousand times. They want to yeah. see like one thing 10 times and something else 10 times and this one 20 times and, and kind of like be entertained. Right. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a balance and it, it's a, it's an, it's an okay balance. It's not a bad thing. It's, I started moving to like, when I think about, even if you don't want to be a competitor, I think about in, in terms of teaching the best jujitsu I can teach. The only real metric we have is does this technique, is it effective in competition? Yep. So I'm trying to teach high-level, uh, effective, battle-tested techniques in a way that most people could understand. So I'm kind of doing something similar to what you were saying, and I'm picking the three main things of a knee-cut pass, and here they are. And it's kind of like, it can look fuzzy in the beginning to most people, and it will start to get dialed in, and the image and the shape of the move or the technique will become a little bit sharper as we add the techniques. But um, it was difficult because we have so many instructors I'd say, okay, we're going to do a knee cut pass and four people show it a different way. And a brand new student looks at it and says, okay, I've seen three variations of this. Which is the right one and yeah. which are the two yeah. wrong ones? Yep. It's not, it's binary to them. Yep. So we're kind of dialing it in and we're going to teach a fuzzier version, focusing on like the axioms that make that technique work. And then let the students who need help, like, oh, you're 205 pounds. Let me go see how JC does this over here. Oh, you're a smaller guy. We got a guy named Andres. Let's see how Andres does it over here. And we're going to try and like see how that works in terms of giving people uh, an, enough clay that they can kind of shape and mold it in their own way and make it work for them at that point. Yeah, we, we do something similar. You know, so I, I tell everyone right off the bat, I'm like, look, you're, you're, you're part of like a big group class, right? There's 30 guys in here. Right. Right. I can't spend the, I, I could spend the entire class with just you. And you still wouldn't give it great by the end. You know what I mean? Like you'd right. have a much better idea, but I can't do that. The best thing you can do is rely on your training partners. So we do like a, a ranked rash guard system too, right? Yeah. So we have, you know, usually you have gi, so you can tell by the belt, but in right. no gi, it's, you can't tell. You get everyone's in, in black shorts and in some kind right. of t-shirt, gym shirt. Yeah. You have no idea who's been here for two months and who's been here for 20 years. Right. So we came up with like a, we just follow the jiu-jitsu ranking system, but we are rash guards, right? And not everyone wears them every single time, but most of them wear most of the classes. Right. Um, and I just tell everyone, look, if you get caught in something, you know, don't ask questions to the other white belts. You can ask them, but just take it with a grain of salt. Right. But anyone that's a blue, purple, brown, black, like you kind of have a, an idea for how long they've been around and how much to, you know, to wait, whatever they say. Um, you know, and anytime something happens and you don't know why it happened, either what mistake you made or what mistake they forced mm -hmm. or the concept of why it works, like ask them. Like I got really good personally, but anytime I got caught in something, like, oh, what could I do to stop that? Right. What did you do? What did you need? How do I break right. that? How do I make it so that sweep? You know, you need this. How do I take something away? Right. It's and a give and take. That's how I got good at jiu-jitsu. Like I just like, and I drove, I drove Bo, Joe Pomfret crazy in the beginning because every time he taught something, I'm like, so why do you do this instead of this? Yeah. And he'd be like, just do it the way I said. You know. Sometimes like, an instructor doesn't have the answer. Hundred percent. Sometimes they don't know. It's like that's right. the way they've done it. Like that's the version that they know and the way they've always done it. They've had good success. Yeah. So that's what they do. 
you know, sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, it's just, you never know. We sometimes, like, there was a, I read this really cool article, and the the idea is called, when you have a mixed-level group, they say teaching to the edges. And basically, it was based on the fact that at some point, the U.S. government was trying to find what's the ideal size for a cockpit and a fighter jet. Yep. And what they were saying was, let's take the average person and build a cockpit for that person. And what they found was absolutely no one is average sized. Right. And so no one could fit into the average size. And so from there, they extrapolated on this idea that they should make a small one and a large one. And then most people could fit into one of the two. Yep. And so sometimes when I teach, I, I teach, they call it teaching to the edges. I'll teach, I'll stress some really basic things and hope, hopefully the guys on the low end of the experience level yep. will get that. And then I'll highlight some of the other things and hope, give something to the, uh, the more advanced guys and the people in the middle will gravitate ideally to whichever side it makes sense. I have no idea if it fucking works or not. So, so we started doing, so obviously with with all the COVID stuff, like it's been hard, you know, we have to have, you know, pods and all sorts of stuff and cohorts. So, um, so I have a, you know, I have a 10 o'clock group and I have an 11 o'clock group and it started out where it was like, okay, like all my 10 o'clock guys are my more basic guys and 11 o'clock are my more advanced guys. And then we kind of like, you're not supposed to shift and jump cohorts you know, they don't want you like, oh, I'm, I'm cohort A on Monday and cohort B on Tuesday, right. you know, but like, but we've adjusted them here and there to kind of make them fit. Right. And that seemed to work out better because my more basic guys are getting like really, really basic, get more time for repping. Right. My more advanced guys, we start with like 10 two minute rounds of takedowns and right. you know, we kind of go from there. Right. So it's like, uh, and that's worked out better. So we're kind of teaching the edges. I haven't heard that, that idea, but it definitely makes sense. Yeah. When you do your cohorts, does, does a cohort of eight or 10 people get the use of the mat exclusively or do you run a group class and then the cohorts just work together within the group class? Uh, so it's changed a little bit as, as time's gone on, you know? So like uh, initially it was like, we had them like, you know, completely separated. Now we've gotten a little bit less yeah. on it. Things have gotten, been gotten much, much better. I thought that when we got an update the other day, I thought it was going to kind of, yeah. you know, change things around. We still have the cohorts. So we've gotten a little bit more relaxed on it. Um, you know, but I know that like a lot of these other gyms, they're not doing anything they're supposed to do. So we're like, we're, we're very closely sticking to, you know, everything we're supposed to yeah. do. I'm not saying we're, we're not doing everything a hundred percent, but we're probably 95%. Yeah. But I know other gyms that are doing 0%. They're doing whatever they want. Yeah, I <laughs> know some gyms. I don't even think they know COVID exists. Yeah. They just, they're doing whatever, you know? And then I've talked to all kinds of friends uh, that have schools down in Florida and they literally since April. So like yeah. almost a year now, the only thing they do is if you don't feel well, don't come to the gym that day. And they've had similar numbers as us as far as like people have had COVID. You know, we've had, you know, no one's gotten COVID in our gym, but a lot of people got it outside right. the gym. So it's like, how, how is this, yeah. how is this a problem? Like, why is this? Yeah, I don't want to, I mean, we could go we, for hours on that topic, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the MMA gym business, because of the popularity of MMA, has totally changed over the last so years. So different, so different. Wednesday, two days ago, was the anniversary of the, it's the 22nd year I've been training jujitsu. It's the anniversary of That's... the first time I walked into a gym. So, What kind of environment did you walk into? I'll never forget my buddy who was going to the State Police Academy. So I had wrestled in high school and like really briefly in college. And then when I came home after... Um, What's really briefly in college? Six weeks. Okay. Six six weeks on a D1 team getting pounded okay. is valuable. I didn't know you wrestled D1. Well, I mean, I was on the team for six okay, weeks. Okay, it doesn't matter. You, you wrestled yeah. D1 guys. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Um, I'm, and I'll never forget, like, coming from Connecticut, being in that room, and we were in North Carolina, and everybody's sitting there talking about their accolades, and I was like, yeah, man, I felt really good about, like, placing in states and doing all this other thing. I had no idea Connecticut was such a shitty wrestling state. <laughs> and then there was a kid who was like, yeah, I qualified for states, and I was like, qualified, whatever, dude. And yeah. we got on the What's mat. State? Indiana. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, wow, this guy's really strong <laughs> and fast. And uh, 
the ceiling looks different yes. from down here. Yep. <laughs> but I had walked in my we we took my buddy's restaurant basement. We put wrestling mats in it, and there was a it was a Bass Rutten uh, twelve tape volume uh, Footlock series. Dominic? No, no, this was my buddy Bun. This was okay. before I met Dom. Okay, and. So we'd go in the basement and we'd footlock each other. Yep. And then in, in you know, very 1999. Safe. Don't do that. Very safe. And we all knew how to wrestle. So we were like, oh, let's just start breaking each other's feet. Yeah. The, the restaurant flooded. So then we'd just go to the park. And we would wrestle in the park because we had nowhere else to wrestle. Yep. And now we're all covered in ringworm and all <laughs> kinds of like uh, uh, avian bird <laughs> bacteria and stuff like that. Very shit. And then my buddy who was in the State Police Academy said, there's a jujitsu school opening. And I think this was, this was in like 1999. And um, we went in, I had my wrestling shoes and I took a look at the guy, Fabio, who became my teacher for several years for like, you know, 15 years, whatever it was. And um, he was like six one and he weighed, I don't know, buck 65. I put my wrestling shoes on. I was like, fuck this guy. <laughs> I shot in a double on him back in the day when my knees worked and I picked him up and I just remember thinking how light he was. And then I remember going, I'm going to kind of let him hit the mat easy. I didn't want to dump him yeah, on his head. Yeah, he's trying to be nice. Trying to be nice. And then I was in a triangle tapping because I was about to pass out before yeah. we hit the mat. Yep. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is the fucking this jam. Is I got yeah. to yep. do this stuff. And that's what I walked into. And um, we had, we would do, every August, there was no air conditioning. So August was Valley Tudo month because it was too hot for a gi. Yeah. <laughs> And as opposed to now, where we're trying to retain students in yep. in August, that was the month where they purged themselves of all the pussies. Yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't make it through August. You yep. were gone. There's gone. No, yeah. Fresh start in September. Yeah, fresh start in September. They, no one gave a shit about how many students do you have. It was, if you want to fight, you've got one choice. But now that they have so many choices, we have to do things a little bit differently. So now, you know, this, I'm looking around your gym. Your gym's awesome. And it just looks so much different than the places we walked into to just fight back in the day. There, I think now, because MMA is so popular and we have these facilities, I think there are two groups of people now that walk into an MMA gym. I think there are athletes and I think there are fighters. And to me, there's a difference between someone who views this as a fight within a certain rule set that they want to win and an athlete who looks at it as a competition they need to win. I think there's a different mentality. There is. And what, can you, what do you think it is? I think it's the exact same thing. So I was never an athlete. Like I played baseball. I played like one year of football in like seventh grade, yep. but I was never like a good athlete, you know, by, by, you know, normal standards, you know, like right. I'm, I'm a pretty good athlete now because I've been lifting and everything for so long right. and competing, you know, my entire adult life. But, um, but I was, I was the fighter there. You know, yeah. I was like, you know, I was, um, I was trying to win competitions. I, I didn't care about it being fights. I was trying to win competitions. but Because I, you submitted everybody. You used to finish yeah. everybody. And, and, and winning wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to, right. to submit them. I wanted to finish right. them. I wanted them to be like, oh, please let me go. Yeah. Like, I, just, I like that, you know, like the, the domination part of it. To just go out there and just, you know, like, doesn't matter. So there's some kid that's like this badass wrestler. He's right. looking at me like this little scrawny kid, yeah. little gangly 16-year-old kid. And I'm just, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to choke you. Um, so I like that part of it, but yeah, I definitely, I, I agree that it's, it's different. You get guys that like, it doesn't matter. They're going to get a broken nose and they're going to come back right. the next day and you got guys that are going to get a hangnail and he's going to take off too. Right. I remember like, even as a guy who like was a, primarily a grappler, I just remember using the grappling ability I had to get to a place where I could just punch you as many times yeah. when you're on your back. That was the best for get me. Get on top and beat them I up. I loved pounding people yeah. from the top position. Yep. For sure. Like, um, but for me in the beginning, it was all about jujitsu. Like I, I liked right. the idea of them trying to punch me. 
Well, I use my jujitsu. Like right. I remember, like one of my first fights, like I didn't, and I had no idea how to throw a punch. I'm throwing like yeah. with, like a bent wrist, like, like slapping the guy, basically like make a fist, like I'm freaking hammer fisting him, um, open hand. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's definitely definitely two different you know classes of people that that, that pop in, and then some people just have no intention of doing anything. Like oh, they're looking for. We get a lot of people that are, and I love them. They come to gym. They're just they're really really weird kids. Right. Really weird people. You know what I mean? It's just like they've tried other things and they just haven't really. There it any, is. They haven't really formed any real relationships. They haven't like whatever. So they come in and like, oh, I'm gonna go try this. You know, and they're like, we, we love the weird kids. Like I was one of the weird kids. Like I like that. Like the I don't we- mind it. Like it's but we get a lot of people that come in like that too. They're just like they're looking for the social aspect of it. It's because I think I think there's an, a group of people that we have like in any gym actually exists that for whatever reason, maybe they couldn't make the team in high school or they didn't have the confidence to go out for the team in high school. Yep. And now there's like a social aspect and a community aspect, and they're also doing something athletic that they yeah. that they like to do. Um, Who doesn't want to strangle their friends? Right? I, I Who mean, doesn't want to strangle their friends? If, you don't, if I haven't strangled you, we are not friends. Yeah. Straight up. And so you were doing heel hooks and shit back in the day. Yes. I remember you were yep. on foot locks way, way, way back in the day. You ever look at some of this stuff now and you look at it and kids are online and they come in, they're like, Hey Joe, did you see this? And you're like, Yeah, I did that in two thousand and two. Yeah, all the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, but to me it's like so all those there's a lot of these intricate setups and some of the things are like they're they're good concepts, right? But for the right. most part, it's like it's it's like it's easy to beat. But if you have good basics, that shit doesn't even right. happen. You mean know, if someone if you're going to someone else and they don't like so like jujitsu, I think about jujitsu, right? So like if you're if you're in a fight outside, right? Even if you're a black belt in jiu-jitsu, you're not doing anything super high level. You're no. getting on top, you're passing the guard, you're pinning them down, you're smashing them in the face, right? right? It's like you're doing all blue belt stuff. Like it's right. just, and I feel like with footlocks, it's kind of the same. Like if I just have good basics, I don't have to worry about all this other fancy stuff. Right. Just ram the basics down their throat. I think the problem with like these intricate positions that are out now, I think there are two problems. I think mean, the first problem is if you and I are going to go train right now, and I know you're a footlock guy, and you put me into a position position where you can enter footlocks uh whether it's a uh, single leg x or the saddle or any of that stuff when i watch my students train it's almost like there's a concession on my part oh joe put me in single leg x i guess we're playing the footlock game now yeah. and i'm playing the footlock game back with yep. you but if you're better than me at the footlock game i'm gonna lose every time so why shouldn't i be spending my time as you said just not getting put in those positions yep. like you know i pressure pass all the time it's an old school thing but guess what you, it's very difficult to invert on someone who's pressure passing yep. when you're doing that stuff a lot, a lot of the guys that have gotten good at footlocks too they're not mma guys why right. is that Right? right, because the second you you commit both your hands to someone's ankle, you get punched in the face. I have another theory. Okay, so I have a theory that the the Footlock guys are not MMA guys because pressure passing back in the day when jujitsu was really intrinsically tied to um, to fighting. If I took you down, there's a chance you'd try and stand back up. So I had to stop you from standing back up, and I had to watch your submission attempts with your legs, triangles, and arm bars, and the up kicks. So I would stay in on pressure passes. So the evolution of all those inverted games and attacking the legs didn't didn't have room to grow. Nowadays, because jujitsu tournaments are huge, and you have the opportunity to butt scoot and just pull guard, there's no threat that you're going to stand back up. Yep. And so because I don't have to pressure you to keep you from standing up, I now play outside passing game. I play a more of a timing and speed game, which gives you the space to invert and get underneath me, and therefore those positions have started to flourish. That's my theory on it. This is this is us getting old, is what this is. Yeah. Like back in my day, yeah. we walked through twelve feet of snow uphill both ways. You know, like, but I I do agree though. You know, like, yeah. so for me, it's like I'm a very very good footlocker, right? I can footlock if we're gonna grapple with someone. Like I have a very good chance I can footlock pretty much anyone right. I grapple with, right? But I tried that when I fought. 
I got punched in the face a lot. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, oh, maybe this is not so good. You know, like, and then I tell my guys all the time, like some of my guys, like they're, they're white belts or blue belts, right? They want to like become like footlock machines. Like guys, right. you guys can't pass the guard. Or white belts. You right. can't pass the guard. Right. Let's, let, I like the footlocks. I'm not saying I don't right. like the footlocks. I like the footlocks. But if I had to prioritize, oh, I'm going to teach you this, you know, this, this new John Donaher, the way he's sitting in the, the whatever, versus let's, let's get an over underpass. Right. Let's get a double underpass. Right. Overpass. Like it's or knee cut. You don't know what a knee cut is yet. Let's work on that first. Let's prioritize that. I also feel like, like when I watch tournaments and stuff, I'll see people bypass a guillotine or an armbar on their way to try and make a leg attack. And it's like, you just went 100 miles to go two miles. Yes. And it's like, don't you want to... I would rather win ugly than lose pretty. And yep. I feel like it, with the advent of so many instructionals now that people would rather lose pretty than win ugly. Well, there's definitely like an entertainment aspect to it, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like everyone that comes in, it's like, okay, like... You could teach the same jiu-jitsu that's been working for, you know, 20 years, right? And, like, there's definitely going to be some things that have to be filled right. in for gaps, right? But, like, people don't want to learn that. People aren't going to go buy right. that instructional. They go, right. oh, he's doing a knee cut pass again? Like, yeah. yeah, it's fucking super effective. Yeah. Yes, yes, you keep doing the knee cut pass. Find the guy yeah. with the best knee cut pass and buy his instructional. Yeah. Right? But, no, they don't want to do that. They want to go and, like, get this thing on, like, I love wrist locks, but go and buy this, like, instruction about, like, right. 8,000 wrist locks. From a yeah. It's like, well, okay, I understand that, but, like, you always have to... You always have like high percentage techniques and low percentage techniques, right? And right. I don't mind low percentage techniques. Right. I don't mind them sometimes. But you have to be, you have to put most of your time in on those high percentage techniques. So right. you're gonna, you know. It's um, Pareto. You just gotta apply the Pareto principle yeah. to your training. That's what I think. Yep, for sure. I also think like when we look at a lot of the instructionals out there, I think simultaneously the instructional game is helping to grow aspects of jujitsu, but right. I also think it's slowing a lot of it okay. down. So when you the footlocks are a great, a great topic, right? If you want to go and you're like an, an okay blue belt and you say, I'm going to go online and learn these footlocks because maybe my instructor is not as well-versed as um, as he could be in, in the footlocks. And you go on to like uh, any of these sites. Let's just say you got a Gordon Ryan, a John Danaher, a Craig Jones, and a Lachlan footlock set. A lot of these kids get all three or all four of those, and they're different. And then they wind up kind of like being having paralysis by analysis and rather than being like let me just immerse myself in one system and try and figure it out they're looking at all of them and some people might be able to make that work but it's too much information it's for someone lot. who's new i think too the like people get caught up and like oh i they think they got better because oh i got three taps this time and you know, right. a year ago i only got one right yeah okay you, you hit a couple you hit a couple more submissions yeah you you, you got more taps doesn't mean you're any better Right. It means that like you you focus on something that they're not paying attention to. Like I, I want my guys to get good at getting on top. I want them to be able to pass the guard. I want them to be able to hold someone down. Yeah. I want them to be able to, you know, you know, pick their submission from top. Not have to just take some random thing that they they're they're offered and they're, you know, whatever. Like I think the guys are like I have like a, I have like five or six guys right now that are like white belts, like yep. pr approaching blue belts, right? And like they've learned a little bit, so now they're like they they're trying to get a footlock stuff. I'm like, you guys, you're killing yourselves. You're right. wasting so much time drilling all these things. That you're gonna, there's such low percentage of like how often they're going to happen. You right. guys can't even like if you're much better, you can force those situations to happen, and then you'll get those submissions. Yeah. But because you're just focusing on this one little part of it, you're never going to be good enough to get that situation to happen. Right. We get a kid, um, one of our best guys, Kenny Levitar, right, Leglock Ninja. Yep. Um, he's so fucking good. He goes to every tournament, submits every single person, heel hooks every single person or footlocks him somehow, like, every single match, going back years and years and years, yep. right? But you know what Kenny got really good at first? Got good at, he, he also never leg locks from bottom. Right. He always leg locks from top. He sweeps people, and then he attempts to pass the guard, and as they defend, he catches the legs. Right. right? But he, he got so good at the sweeps first. 
Right. All the guys, all my guys, they want to do privates with Kenny and he teaches them what, what they want to learn, right? But they don't know how to, they're not capable of getting the fight and getting the match to that position. Right. So they're never going to hit it. My instructor used to always say, we'd come in and be like, hey, can you show me this, this technique? And he'd say, I'll show it to you if you can show me how to get there. Yes, if I you, like that. If you can't show yep. me how to get there, I'm not yep. going to waste my time showing you that yep. technique because you're never going to be able yep. to pull it off. You know, like I think in, in the beginning, people are like, when everyone's like learning something really, really basic, okay, you learn A, B, C, right. D. And I think as you get a little bit better, you learn, okay, you're like A, then you skip B and you go right to C. Right. And you go right to E and you kind of right. jump back and forth. But I think as, once you get a little bit better, you, you start going the alphabet backwards. Right, and you have to understand how, like you know, uh, almost every sequence is going to flow both directions. Right, you know what I mean, and for me also, like a lot of the DVD sets are so unbelievably specialized, and there's so much uh, dependency on for a lot of these guys, not all of them, but on physical attributes. I can't move like Lachlan. There's right. no way that's ever going to happen. Yep. So. I prefer to find like the source material for a lot of these things. Like in my opinion, the source material for all Danaher's leg lock stuff is the Scott Sonnen saddle CDs, DVDs from back in the day. Yep. It's, it's formatted almost exactly like that in the four positions. And so for me, although it's a little bit antiquated and not nearly as sophisticated as what Danaher's put together, I'd rather watch that and then extrapolate for myself the, the points that are going to work for me and that, that I want to teach. I feel like when you get caught into a system, and you go to train and I give you a systems-based problem, you're only going to be able to give me a systems-based answer unless you have a lot of experience where you can think outside the box. Like I don't want to be in a position where if you're um, a Craig Jones leg lock guy where you present to me a problem and I can only solve it with the Craig Jones uh, leg lock answers. I want to be able to apply different things. It's like, you know, I want to be able to take – one skill set to solve the problem presented by another skill set. I'm, I'm a big fan of like concepts. So like, I hate yeah. when someone teaches like, Oh, here's this move. And you got to go boom, 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 boom. Like it's like, right. I, I prefer if you say, okay, we're going to do this and this is why we're doing this. And then we're going to do this and this is why we're doing this. And then right. it's going to, and then it's going to get to this point. Right. And, and if they do this, you go this way. And if they go this, they do this way. It kind of branches off. And to me, that is like so much more important to understand right. like why each thing was done instead of just being a parrot. Right. Like you don't, you don't, you don't actually know why you're doing things and what you're doing. You don't know when it's, you know, appropriate right. and when it's not. See, I feel like when I teach also concepts are important, but one of the only ways to get concepts across to newer people is through the use of techniques. So now it's like, okay, I can't make you understand this concept because yep. you don't really know anything yet. So I've got to show you this technique so you can understand this, yes. the concept. Yep. And then we can further refine the techniques after you understand the concept. To me, and like, I respectfully smash them. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's like, I, I think it's important to understand, like, you know, like anytime I have someone like asking like, Oh, what about this? And what about this? I'm like, Oh, let's, let's try that. Yeah. And they just squish them like a bug. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And like, I'm like, and I, and I tell them, Hey, what you did wasn't wrong. Right. Right. What you did was not wrong. It was an option. It's it wasn't inferior. wrong. <laughs> not ne- necessarily. That's inferior. what I like to tell my guys. It's yeah. not wrong. It's inferior. Yeah. Um, but it's like, but I have so much more experience and right. I'm telling you from my experience, try it this way first. And then right. like, I could, I could pull off that option and you couldn't stop me. There's nothing right. you could do, but you don't have the experience yet to do that right. part. So like, just, just trust me, just do it the way I'm telling you for now. And then, right. you know, we'll, we'll talk about when that's good, when it's appropriate and when it makes sense. I always like to watch the guys who are like working on new moves before class, especially the highlight reel moves. And then I like to look at them when they're doing live goes, none of them even get close to those positions yeah. unless your partner is willing to enter that specific position yep. with you. You're not going to get it. it Instagram, I think, is 
taking us dangerously close to katas in jiu-jitsu. Yes. If you follow some of these guys who are putting together these elaborate chains of movement on a guy who's just standing still and doing nothing, there's maybe a slice of that you could attempt to get to in a live match, but yep. you're not going to... It's like no one's ever going to teach you to throw a 12-punch combination no. on somebody. Never want Because after yeah. the first three, they're either dead or gone or hitting gone. you back. Mostly gone. Yeah. yeah. And so to, to be doing these like extensive videos on Instagram that everybody fucking loves... It's like, that's just a kata. There's no way on earth 99% of that happens in a, in a real no thing. Way. And I think it's a really dangerous path we're going down because uh, it's further diluting this, this great sport. So we, we had one of my guys, again, one of my, one of my you know, is a new blue belt, uh, Chamber Jim, and he tried to Imanari roll me the other day, right? And, like, he'd been talking about it, like, like trying to go for it on more people, whatever. So he tried yeah. to Imanari roll me, right? So I immediately sprawl on him, smash him, completely crush yep. him. I immediately jump. Now I'm, I'm like, I'm not pissed, but I'm like, I'm like right. you just thought you were going to Imanari roll me? Like, everyone's sitting there watching. Like, mildly so now, insulted. Mildly insulted. <laughs> it's like I pass north south. I get him in a Kimura. And then I just start, like, you know, just digging my elbow in his ribs. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's just like, I'm not even trying to get the Kimura. I'm just digging him. Just he's me, just suffering. Just being mean. Just, yeah. yeah. And then one of the one of the other new guys, uh, one of my guys, Winston, is like telling me, they go, he's like, don't square him. Do this, do that. I'm like, so like, I, I, I finished the Kimura. I'm like, Winston, come over here. And I, and I put him in the position, same the north-south yeah. Kamara. I start digging my elbow. And he's like, he starts screaming, like bloody murder. Like, like ah, ah, stop, stop. I'm like, like why, don't, why don't you just be strong? Just don't, don't squirm. Don't Follow move. your own you know advice, I mean? like, Winston. Yeah, he's, like, he's like, I'm just trying to help him out. I'm like, okay, but just, I yeah. want you guys to understand like, what just happened here. He knew a little bit, and he tried something that he yeah. was not ready for, and I yeah. smashed him for it. And then you thought that you were going to help him out. And then now you just got it too. It's yeah, like, it's like you, it's like a classic example of knowing just enough to get your ass kicked. A hundred percent. Little yeah. knowledge is dangerous. Yeah. So, and, why, I lo- and I love both those guys. Like they're both they're they're, they're awesome training partners. Yeah. Like they're, they're really good students. You know, but it's like sometimes it's like okay, like take this time you're spending on these couple things and like just right. ask advice. Hey, what should I be working on? Yeah. And I'll tell you. Okay, work on this and this and this. Right. It's like I always go back to the Pareto principle. I'm like, you're just spending an inordinate amount of time on positions and. What moves. is the Pareto principle again? I, I, I read a, it's, it. It's wicked familiar. But. It's like the eighty twenty principle. It's oh like, yeah, yep, yep. You, you should be spending eighty percent of your time on the twenty percent of the moves that are going to give you the results. Yep, yep. Um, so, it's just allocation of resources. Yep. And guys are spending all this. It's like you said, like you come into the room and it's like everyone's inverting and doing all these things. And it's like you should be practicing making frames and recovering a guard. Yep. Because otherwise, none of this really matters. But the evolution of the depends depends on your on your your, your, that's true your environment. So like I I, you know so Danny Savies is who I got my black belt on. Right, I've trained with Danny a bunch. He teaches me at my gym. Yep. Um. So I, I have this argument with him, and I'd love to hear your take on it, right? Like, so if we're talking grappling, right, yes. I want to stop you from passing my guard. Right. Right? If we're talking MMA, though, I would rather someone pass my guard into side control than to, be, to, to lock me down in half guard. So I like, I prefer someone on top of me inside. He prefers someone in, in half guard or. In, in jujitsu, in a gi. Yep. I would much prefer that no one passes my guard. Yep. And, be, and why, though? Why? Because I will. Whatever guard I'm in on the bottom yep. with a gi on, I will always have a measure of offense. And I can yep. always work something where I can go from the bottom to the top, and you're not punching me, yep. right? Uh, in Probably points is in there too, right? You don't, you don't want to give up points because if they pass your guard, they're going to get the points. Right, but also like in a gi, if you're in half guard, for you to do any further damage to me, there, of course there are some submissions there, you've got to move your body to another position. 
right? And I don't want that to happen. Yep. You don't need to in MMA. In MMA, if you're in half guard, you can do plenty of damage right <laughs> there, damage. right? The, and the thing for me is, as a guy, so I'm going to probably agree with you and build on your point for MMA. I would make the argument, I'll, I'll argue with myself for a second. I would make the argument that if I passed your guard, I would never try and pass your guard in MMA. You and I, knowing, having trained with you, I would never do that. And the reason why is because... I can't connect my hips to you 100% of the time there in MMA with those gloves being sweaty. And for me, I don't want you to turn away or cause a scramble. Now, other guys will answer, that's where you take the back. That's fine. Back taking is not my strength. So I don't want to get to a position, especially in MMA, where now I've got to waste the energy of wrapping my legs and using these gigantic muscles to control you to get the back. Gigantic muscles. Yeah. Really gigantic muscles. And now that's not the answer for everybody. But for me, I'd rather stay on top in MMA, in half guard, pounding you away, where every time you move, I have the ability to chase your hips with my hips. Yep. So I I, I think that, so the two things that I, I think that go against jiu-jitsu, you know, sport jiu-jitsu versus for MMA, was I would much rather have someone be in side control. Mm-hmm. And then in half guard, if I'm on bottom, I always want an overhook instead of an underhook, mm-hmm. right? So like, now, why? Why do I like those? So, for MMA, if I'm on, if I'm on a half guard, I'm on bottom half guard, right? right. I, I always want to have the overhook because I can post out with my other hand, I can get on the hip, and now I can make some space, and then I can start attacking with butterfly right. guard stuff. Like, I love butterfly guard. I think it's mm-hmm. the best guard, period. Like, it's especially for that spot. Yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, but if I get an underhook, traditionally, people like the underhook in half guard because they're going to start popping people up and, you know, right. whatever. And then, as the guy on top, you're going to try to darse me. Or, or make me pay for right. getting there and you're going to pass and you're going to choke right. me, whatever. Like, you know, but for MMA, it just gets that arm pinned. Like, I get that underhook. If right. someone on top is decent at, they're going to pin that arm and right. now they're going to hit me with knees. They're going to punch me in the right. face. They're going to get head control. Like, there's a right. lot of things that they can do. Um, for me, there's no better position for MMA than, than top of half guard. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it says that you can't get your legs away. It's hard to get sweeps going, especially when you can't get that underhook. Um, yeah. There's a lot of ways you can like frame on the face and, and kind of defeat their hips and slow them down. And, you can punch them the entire time. Yeah. I, I think of half guard, and I like use this little analogy when I coach my guys, that positioning in MMA has to be a trade-off. You've got to find the perfect balance between power and control. Yep. And in a position like half guard, to gain the most power with your strikes, you're going to give up a level of control because you're bringing your shoulders way back. You're cocking. You're making space to like land that big, heavy blow. So you got to find a way to do the most damage while also having the most control there. Yep. And when you say sport jujitsu, I, I actually think... So you got gi jiu-jitsu and no gi jiu-jitsu historically. Yep. Now you've got no gi jiu-jitsu and MMA jiu-jitsu. Yes. And I think further, we're dangerously close as the sport grows to having a gym jiu-jitsu. Gym jiu-jitsu. Gym jiu-jitsu. Which I think is like the guy who like if we're training and like you just don't care about winning and you kind of like just let someone get past your guard and go to go to side control. When is the last time in a high-level jiu-jitsu match at black belt, big tournaments, you ever saw a guard get past and someone hold you in side control? Yeah. It just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And the fact that in the gym people let that happen, you're creating an illusion. That just that jiu-jitsu doesn't happen in high-level competition, but it will happen all over the place in the gym, even with really good guys. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the gym style of jiu-jitsu for non-competitors is going to further delineate itself. And you're just going to see all these different types of jiu-jitsu, which I think is great, and paths to go by. I, th- I think part of it, too, is like, you know, so like really good jiu-jitsu is very efficient, right? right? Which is why you have like some guys that are like, Horrible athletes smoke a ton of cigarettes, like no cardio at all. They get winded going to the bathroom, right? But they have phenomenal jiu-jitsu, right? right? So because they were lazy, they got really good jiu-jitsu, right? right? But so as you get 
I have the mindset of like I want to like I will expend a lot of energy if it makes you expend more energy. Right. And I will just try to drain the life out of you. So mm -hmm. I try to be very active and I try to force scrambles and I try to make you work really hard. And hopefully that I'm gonna be in better shape and I'm gonna just right. I'm gonna get tired, but you're gonna get more tired and then I'm gonna take right. advantage, I'm gonna get you. You know, but I tell guys like, you know, you know, be be efficient, you know, with your movement. But they take it as like, oh, I'm be lazy. And like right. it's not really it's the economical. thing. So it's like like um like someone like Chris Ponquist. Yeah. Right? Love Chris. Awesome, awesome jujitsu, right? Super fucking lazy. He right. like he would love to get like we we have this argument all the time. Like I, I like butterfly guard better, he likes half guard better, right? Because he's way lazy. He's gonna get in that right. lockdown, he's gonna lock on your leg, and he'll spend yeah. he'll spend 20 minutes just shifting left and right, right a little bit, just being super patient and get for me that doesn't work. I'm right. getting ready. I'm I'm always thinking MMA. Like since I was 16 years old, I've always been thinking right. MMA. I need to I have five minutes. If I take you down, maybe a minute in the round, I have four minutes to to do damage, right. pass a guard, submit you, whatever it's gonna be. I can't spend 20 minutes in half guard and just like sit there like right. bumbling back and forth. I always tell my guys, you gotta train sport, but think street. Yes. Train sport, think street. Yep. Like you wanna be nice to your training partner, but is this applicable anywhere else other than this little made up world that we're in so right I, now? I tell my guys to be jerks to each other, but don't injure each other. Yeah. Like I good. want you to be I want you to be uncomfortable the entire time we roll. Like if right. we roll you're a lot bigger than me. Right? Yeah. I can't make you that uncomfortable, right? right? But if we're the same size, I'm going to do my absolute best to make you despise rolling with me every single right. time. Not because I'm like twisting your fingers and being a spaz and everything like that, but right. like constant head pressure, constant shoulder pressure, right. just squishing you down, yeah. making you miserable. Yeah. To me, it's like that's like that's the best comment you can give to someone is to roll with them like that, right? Because yeah. like you 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 did everything you could to make them miserable. And if if we both do that to each other all the time, no one outside is going to do anything worse to us. I agree with that. And as a guy who's getting like older and has a lot of injuries, I hate it when I sense that I think like one of my like big strong students comes in. He's like, oh, you know, maybe I should go easy on this guy because he's old and his knees are fucked up yeah. and all this other <laughs> stuff. I actually, I actually Take am offense. insulted by that. <laughs> yeah. And I tell people all the time, don't, don't treat me any differently. Like we have, like we get, uh, I got a couple of guys, my bigger guys, right. They're like, they're like 260, 280 pounds, right. They're freaking yeah. monsters. Right. And I'm 175 pounds right now. Right. I'll roll with them and I have no problem with them. Like, you know, yeah. squishing me a little bit. Right. But if they squish one of our other guys, it's like that they have no business. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I will murder them. I find that, like, giving someone that that level of responsibility it's is hard. tough sometimes. Yeah, it's hard. Because, like, they're like, well, you know, you said to do it X, Y, Z. And it's like, yeah, that's a 120-pound yeah. girl on her yeah, third right. day. Yeah, right. Give it a go. Yep. Gotta, yeah. Have, gotta find that balance. Why do you hate the gi? Um, <laughs> we don't have enough time. We don't have enough time for this. So, I, I, I don't hate the gi. Um, I hate... I hate its effect. I think it's the most useless tool ever for fighting. Everyone always wants to say, I think there's there's a couple of things that I like about the gi for, for getting ready for a fight, right? Which is, that's always been my, my perspective, right. right? It's always been fighting. Um, I think it's it's good for posture because yep. you're giving someone handles to grab onto your collar yep. and posturing up is good. And it's good for keeping your feet at an appropriate distance where you, you keep your feet where they can't reach them. Right. That's the, I think those are the only two redeeming qualities about the gi whatsoever. I think that... Don't don't cut me off yet. <laughs> I'm gonna let you finish. So, um, for like every gi grip is useless. I always I, I hate the example. Oh, if someone's wearing a jacket, you can do this. You can do this gi choke. You can do this cross choke. Like bullshit. There's no way. There is no way that any any jacket that you're gonna run into someone wearing outside is not gonna be perfectly zipped up and like that. It's, ne it's you're never gonna gi choke someone. And if you are gonna gi choke them, you could have broken their arm without the jacket just as easy. I agree 100 with that. So, I think. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. okay. I, I, I can go for a long time with okay. this. Okay. So. Well, I'll jump in and we can, we can okay. 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 let this end of its yep. own volition. Yep. Um, so the gi to me. Yep. For example, if uh, I throw an arm bar up on a big, strong guy in no gi, there's a chance that 
uh, he may just power out of it using, you know, sweat and strength and explosiveness and everything else like that. And what's going to happen is in the gi, it's much harder to use athleticism to escape techniques. So you're saying, you're saying that your arm locks are not good enough to catch someone outside of a gi. No. What I'm saying is for someone who does not have the experience that I do, it would behoove them to have to learn as, as technically perfect of an armbar defense as they can. Because at some point, there will be someone as big and strong as them, and that person won't be able to just power out of there. So you'll need the, the technical escapes that you learn in the gi because it's a little bit slower and there's more friction when someone, everyone's going to run into the guy who's bigger and stronger than them. And you will need to add the technique to that. And that becomes a force multiplier. That's my first point. My second point on self-defense is, while I'm not interested in using your coat to choke you, what I am interested in is learning, understanding how to move in the, like, if I'm wearing a coat, you're going to grab me. Like, I want to know how to move when someone's got certain grips on me, and they're not going to be technical grips, certainly, but I'm not going to be stifled by you grabbing me because I'm, I'm well-versed in moving around when you're grabbing onto my clothes. The day that I, who, I, I'm, I'm a black belt now, right? So I've been, tra- I've been training a lot more gi now in the last couple of years. Right. But before that, the day that I run into some random guy on the street, and his grip on my jacket gave me trouble. It was the day I should hang up the gloves and never fight again. Well, the day that I'm walking down the street and an oiled-up man in his underwear gives me any any sort of problem, I'm probably hanging out in the wrong neighborhood. But I'm, not, I'm not advocating for wearing spats and all that stuff either. Right. I'm just saying I don't like the gi. You're going to the opposite end of the spectrum. I'm right. saying more realistic. You know what I mean? Like I think like shorts and a t-shirt are pretty realistic. You know, shorts. I mean, you can you can wear jeans if you want. If you want to wear sweaty ass yeah, jeans, you live every in New day, England. Yeah, you could. And, and, and then Kenny Levitare, Leglock Ninja, he, he shows up and grapples in jeans all the time. Have you ever done an experiment? I've seen this done somewhere where everyone comes in in the clothes they wear to work for one night of training. Kenny did that last, like, two weeks ago. Did he? Yeah, 6 a.m. So, yeah. so we, we, uh, we have 6 a.m. classes, too. So Kenny's like, hey, everyone, bring, bring, your, bring your jeans. Yeah. I might bring a fake knife, like a rubber knife. <laughs> I might you know bring I mean? a real knife. Yeah, might be. You know, but, like, for, for me, it's like, okay, like, the second you, like, and I hate it when, like, guys are, like, like, geese have to be made so thick because they're going to rip, right? Like, clothes are going to rip, too. That's not why they're made thick. Why they're made thick. They're, the lapels are made really thick because just like when you add the fat grips to a bar, yep. it's just much harder for the material to take form and start to, like, cut the blood supply off. Notice yep. the thicker geese are harder to grab. And they're harder yep. to choke people with. Put a karate yeah. gi on, and right. I'm gonna. it's like a I string think it's, around I think it's neck. more about durability, though, right? It's like the karate gi would make it do, like, one class, and it would right. shred. Right, You know, Jiu-Jitsu gis are going to last longer. I think you, that's kind of part of it. But You've never competed in a gi, right? Uh, one time. Okay. So part of I the lost. problem is with, <laughs> with the gis is the, the weight of the gi. Yep. They've, they haven't adjusted for the fact that gis are a lot lighter and a lot like uh, more durable yep. for the material now. Back when I started, I remember like my gi weighed like eight pounds. Sorry, I just spit on you. My gi weighed like eight pounds. And the weight classes in the IBJJF still reflect that geese are you that You weigh heavy. in wearing the gi. You weigh in yep. wearing the gi, mat side weigh-ins. So it's to the point now where when I compete in a gi, I compete at heavyweight. The limit with the gi on is 208. For me to do heavyweight no gi, I can't make that weight. I have to do super heavyweight no gi because they assume the gi is like eight pounds. Yep. And it's, uh, it makes absolutely no sense the way they I do just, that. I feel like the gi is not realistic. I think that uh, typically day-to-day, even in New England, what someone's wearing is closer to probably shorts and a t-shirt as opposed to a heavy jacket and a gi that you could choke someone with, you know, like all the, all the grips are different. Like, um, and I hate, like, I hate seeing someone that like is like good in the gi, but their gi, their, their, their game 
largely revolves around grips on the gi. Right? So it's like, it's one thing if someone like, if they're good in the gi, but they, they have like a, a more realistic kind of approach. I hate it when guys are like, all they do is gi choke and set up like these loop right. chokes and things like that. It's like, that's not realistic. Like, that's like, you're taking advantage of um, the fact that they're wearing a gi, which it's is not always going to happen. Like I can, no gi, put me in a gi, put me in no gi, right? Like Danny Savior used to have fits in me about because like, he's like, you're grappling, you, you have a gi on, but you're grappling like it's no gi, right? Because I'm right. like, I'm really good with my overhooks and underhooks. Yes, yeah. I'm going to use those. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, and for the sake of learning more about jujitsu, I started focusing on more gi grips and things like that, right? But like, like, but I'd be go- I'd be going with guys that are really, really good, and I'm just using overhooks, underhooks. They're using their gi grips against me, and I'm right. still cutting through. I'm passing. I'm doing all this sort of stuff, and like, I just don't know how realistic it is. But if you put us at both in, so if, if I had a competitive role with someone, we're both in the gi. And that's fine, right? Like, gi is right. their thing, and I'm still doing okay against them, right? Put us in no gi, and it's not even close, though. I think that, um, first of all, as far as the grips go, I always <laughs> say, if, I can, if I'm not outside of the elaborate worm guards and all these other things, yep. all that shit, if I can't translate a sleeve grip to a wrist grip or a lapel grip to a collar tie, I shouldn't be fighting anybody. Yep. If I can't say that these two things are analogous and just switching off, I shouldn't be fighting anybody. But outside of that, like the more elaborate guards, I agree with you. That stuff is totally unrealistic. Yep. You're never going to, like, you know, Carlson, every time he comes into the seminar at my gym, he's just, they talk about like, oh, pulling this guard and pulling that guard. And he's like, hey, look, you're in the bar and someone grabs your girlfriend's ass. You're not going to pull guard on him. <laughs> Pulling spider guard. Yeah, you're yeah. not you're not. And spider doing guard's it. like, that's fun to play. But right. it's a game. It's not realistic. Like I've never like I've never like I don't mind playing Spider Guard in the in the, in the gi class, right? right? But I'm never that's has zero carryover to right. a fight. I think that th- what you're describing, I think like people, I've always thought, if you train in a gi, and you're good in a gi, you should be able to seamlessly transition to no gi. Whereas people who are good in no gi can't seamlessly transition to a gi. I've thought one way is an so easier. I, I came from like the no gi to the gi. So I kind of transitioned that way. And to me, the, in the beginning, the hardest part was thinking that, okay, I'm supposed to be grabbing the gi. So I would mindlessly grab right. the gi just because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Right. And then once I once I just focused on my overhooks, underhooks better, right. I got more like, I was more familiar with the gi. And then I would figure out, okay, this is the time I'm yeah. going to grab the gi. This is the time I'm not going to. And it just took me a little time to kind of get used to it. But right. I had no problem as long as I wasn't trying to like think, oh, I need to grab the gi because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. As soon as I stopped doing that, I did so much better. Yeah. I, th- I think that like it also it's a, could be a generational thing too because like the jujitsu that I play is not, it's not heavy grip dependent except yep. for a handful of chokes. Um, it's all overhooks and underhooks and yep. it's just like grappling concepts that work, work without a gi and they work with a gi. It's as you whittle it down to the finer details that you see the differences between the gi and the no gi stuff. I remember, um, what was Manny's name? Manny uh, Ice Fights Manny. Oh, Nevs. Cra- Manny, Nevs. Crazy Manny Nevs. Before, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Before Manny uh, died, he was going to let me fight an MMA fight in Rhode Island in my gi. Really? I, I begged him. I was like, I want to fight an MMA fight in my gi. Yeah, that would have been so unfair. Why? Because you would have got matched up against some bum kickboxer that had to know what a gi <laughs> choke was. Didn't no, know no, what no. an Ezekiel or where, where any he, of that stuff was. Where he could wear no gi. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But, but yeah, you would have just gotten us yeah. back and you would have just collar choked him just so yeah. you could do it. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been. It's like going into an MMA fight. Like, oh, like, this guy doesn't know that I do knife fighting and I got a shank in my shorts. <laughs> do you remember but, when Randy Rowe at Anaga, they had to pause the match because he had a knife in his uh, little, what, what were the, <laughs> the bad boy shorts? He had a knife hanging out right here. And they're like, okay, time. We got to get the knife out uh, of this guy. Randy Rowe. <laughs> yeah, those were the days. Um, the last thing I was going to say about. Uh, but the, yeah, but fuck the geek. <laughs> well, okay. 
but not so much as a retention tool. No, so I, I think it's okay for that because like it's um it's offering a sport, right? It's like I'm, right. I'm giving you like it's like oh right. we're playing soccer, oh, but you don't always have a soccer ball, so you gotta just kick whatever you gotta figure whatever rock you can find. Like no, I, right. I get it, I understand. Um, I like it, and and some people like they're looking for that, like they're looking. For, right. I was never looking at like oh I want to become a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I want to do this. Right. Like I was like hey I want to fight. Right. Saturday I wanted to just do grappling, and until I was eighteen, that was that was what my only goal was. I just wanted to learn submissions and whatever and then then i started fighting and then that was my focus so i was always like right. like how do i get better and i don't think training in the gi helps at all for you know getting better for a fight you know like if i think for some people it's a little bit easier to kind of wrap their head around concepts and, and techniques in the gi and i right. think that part's okay of it but overall i think it's mostly garbage for getting ready for mma or getting ready for a fight i think you're wasting your time there's always like just like there's there's drilling certain techniques and there's other things and it's not a it's not a complete waste of time it's just very inefficient Right. I, I think I think there are lessons in the gi more so than techniques in the gi. Like you yep. talked about earlier, like to me, the biggest thing is the posture. Yep. And also another thing that I think about is when you're, let's say I'm in your closed guard and we're wearing the gi and you start to grab my sleeves. I've got to break those grips as soon as possible. The same goes for if I'm sitting in your guard in MMA and you start to control my wrists. I can't punch you if I, if I don't have control of my yep. own wrists. So there are ideas and concepts, I think, that are taught in the gi that are translatable. Yep. So from there though, it's it's different, you know. Like in 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 MMA, I'm not supposed to stick my fingers inside your glove and grab on. But that happens. It ha it happens sometimes. Right. right. I, I strongly advocate to play in that gray area. Yeah. But um, it happens sometimes for sure, you know. But like it's 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 completely different. I think you're way better off if you're talking about that. You talk about hand fighting for no gi. Like it's, it, you're acting like hand fighting is ha controlling the sleeve and the gi has carry over to MMA. And, and and I guess I can see how it does to some extent, but but a lot less, you know, carry over compared to no gi. I just don't feel like in, I feel like in Nogi, and if you talk about that classic top and bottom closed guard yep. position, I feel like so few people in Nogi will instantly go to hand fight because they'll look, reach up for your head or your elbow, yep. which is a bit of a different thing because they don't have the gi grips. But but I think I think it's more effective. I think if, if, if we're talking Nogi, right? So my guard passing, uh, my guard passing was good once I stopped doing all the footlock stuff, right? My guard right. passing got way better when I stopped trying to footlock people so much. Um, but my, my, Opening the guard was probably like the, the the hardest part for me about right. putting you know putting on the gi, because like I'm used to getting in there they're, they're guarding and can opening them yeah. right because I know what's gonna happen I'm gonna can open to them right what's gonna happen gonna Either they're, they're gonna they're gonna switch the arm lock right well guess what they just open up their guard right now I force half guard and I punch them in the face for the next 15 right. minutes what if you get arm locked what what if you got arm locked if though? I set a trap and I get caught with that trap I'm an idiot. Yeah, but that's a dangerous game to play. No, like I'm not. gonna I'm gonna can opener you and hope that hope that I don't get arm locked. Hey, go stand on that parking lot. I'm gonna go get my car. I'm gonna go run you over. If you're sitting in that spot, you should get you deserve to get hit the car. See, when someone tries to can opener me, I, I salivate. I'm like, thank you. You just hooked it up because I'm gonna make a cross collar grip and I'm just gonna shift my hips. I'm gonna have a blast with that. See, for, for me, it's like anytime I you know if I'm in someone's guard, can opener is one of the first things I'm gonna go for. Yeah, can opener the. the and I'll let you finish. Sorry. It sucks so bad that the IBJJF made the can opener illegal in a gi. That's yep. the stupidest rule ever. Yeah. So, like, for me, it's like, okay, I'm going to grab, if I'm in your closed guard, I'm going to punch you a couple times. I'm yep. going to grab a can opener. Yeah. Right. I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to can opener you. Either you're going to block it with your arm, reach yep. across and just nullify it, which case I don't, it doesn't cost me anything because you right. didn't go for that arm lock or you're going to go for that arm lock. I'm ready. The second you rotate your hips, I'm ready to withdraw my arm. I'm ready to, right. to you know, force half. I'm going to pass your guard. Right. Um, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm doing a move that I know, okay, this is the counter and I'm like, oh, I didn't know he was going to arm lock me when I went for that can opener. I'm an idiot. 
Yeah, but that you could say that for almost any sequence in jujitsu. Anytime you start to do something, there's going to be a counter that your opponent can play. But, but for the the can opener in particular, it's very it's one very clear thing. What can you right. do? You open your guard, put your hands on the mat, scoot away. Right. You reach your forearm across, block your tricep, block with your head, or you arm lock. There's yeah. only three things you're ever going to do, yeah. right? And none of them are bad. If you obviously if you get caught in the arm lock, that's the only one you're going to be worried about, though. They scoot the hips away, that's fine. Knee cut, pass them. Yeah. If they block, well, nothing bad happens. Maybe you don't you don't get the can opener. It doesn't. It's not very effective, but like, nothing bad happens. Only thing you got to worry about is the arm lock. To me, jiu-jitsu, the great thing about it is the fact that as I threaten this thing over here to the right, you know, you defend that, I bring you to the left. Right. And vice versa. You know what I mean? It's like you got to find, like, that balance of, like, oh, I attack with this and it expose you to this or, you know, you go to here. Uh, for that, it's like it's a very straight, you know, very straight. Oh, I'm gonna go here. You're gonna do this. Yeah. Give, give me that out. I, I think that all those permutations of every like offensive maneuver, that's a lot of times what confuses people in jujitsu. And uh, like we started to actually teach less technique. Yep. We want to teach the core techniques, like to go down these like potential chains of events that may or may not happen if you get a student you know this one what if this well if we start playing the what if game we'll be yep. here for a week yeah you're right we can literally be here for a week yep. and i like the i like ryan hall's take on a lot of stuff where he's just like sometimes the answer is just get good at a single and come up on a single we don't yep. need all these other things and with all the details and all the styles and everything i think it really clouds people's ability to progress if um someone wants to learn a knee cut you and I are going to do it two totally different ways just because of body type and things like that. And they're never really going to understand the position 100% because they're focused on, well, the way Joe does it must be better or the way JC does it must be better. No, it's just a knee cut. So so when I, when I, whenever I, ch I show something, if, if that was happening, right? So we take yeah. someone who's brand new and I'm going to teach you knee cut, you're going to teach knee cut, right? Well, yeah, whoever pro is probably more similar than body wise right. is probably going to do, do a little bit better with them, be a little bit closer to what they want to do, right? But I think that it's on us to at every, at every step like, ex explain. And you can't explain every detail in such thorough depth. Right. But like, okay, well, I'm going to get here and then I'm going to cut this across and I need this underhook because if I, if I don't, he's going to take my back. And if right. I stay here and then I do this and I do this and this is why I do this part. And I think that like if you kind of explain it a little bit better, I think it, it kind of helps them understand the concepts of it a little bit better. And it makes them we're not teaching them the move. We're teaching them several concepts that get to, to you know, pay off to be that. move. And I think that I agree with that. And I think that's one of the issues with online instruction is that there's, there's not no feedback. There's no feedback. That's the crucial thing yeah, is there's hard. no feedback. And then someone who's brand new doesn't know, okay, these are the ideas I should be concentrating on. And these are the ones that maybe aren't so important. Even when an online instructor prefaces a series of, of maneuvers or techniques or whatever with that advice, you still get lost because there's so much information coming in. People aren't categorizing it that quickly. If, if you bought a DVD, it should take you one DVD. It should take you like probably two or three years to, to, to practice all the content, yeah. right? Because to me, it's like some of it's going to be maybe just your body type is not going to work, right? You know, right? If I'm watching someone that's super flexible, I'm not super flexible, that's not going to be very good for me, right. right? There's probably still some things in there that's okay for me, but it's not going to be super useful. Um, but like I, people always ask me like, how, how'd you get good at jiu-jitsu, right? And I said, I would basically... I would spend like three to six months drilling like the same couple techniques mm -hmm. and I would just try to force every time we rolled. And in the beginning, you can't force it as much. It's right. a little harder, right? right? You can't, you don't have as much control. Once you get a little bit better, once you're like blue belt level, you start forcing, you start funneling. And so every single roll goes to these couple of positions. Like, yeah. okay, so like I want, I want to get good at back defense, right? I got this, this way I'm, I've been, you know, cutting over my hip over the leg right. and blocking this and did it. I like, how do I do that? Well, it's easy. I keep giving up my back. Right. I just keep giving up my back. I escape, I escape. Maybe I don't escape. Maybe I get tapped out. It doesn't matter though, right? Cause we just start over. I get my back again. They get on my back again. I, right. I get another opportunity to, to kind of work on it. Um, same thing with sweeps. 
same thing. I like I, I, I keep forcing this position and I sweep. I force this position, I sweep. I force this position, I try to sweep, but they stop me. Right. Okay, I figure out, like, I kind of guess and check. But you need to spend a lot of time. You can't, like, you can't watch a DVD and practice it for two classes and think that right. you're good and go on to something else. But the precursor to that is what you said, is, which I think a lot of people miss out on, is you have a plan when you go into train. Yes. This is the thing I'm working yep. on. I don't think enough people have a plan when they go into train. Yep. And I think that's where the line is drawn between exercise and training. Yep. Is the people who have a plan are training for a certain thing, and the people who are exercising uh, don't necessarily have a plan for things. Lloyd Irvin put out a long time ago the grappling game plan. Yeah. Right, which was like, and he was, he he took it as like an approach to like people getting ready for competition. Okay, so it's right. like, you basically like, the short version is basically you list every position and you yep. write what your first and second and third thing is going to be. Right. Okay, I go to this and if that doesn't work, I do this and if that doesn't go work, I go to this right. and then I cycle back to the first one and I just go through, right? And it was like basically very position. You knew exactly what you're going to do and because you had that game plan, you knew in all those positions, you had it on paper, what things you do, and you would make sure you practice and rep those, and you would basically schedule out, you know, what days you're going to work on this, this, and this, you know right. what I mean? And it would work like that. And I, I think that that kind of has to be applied to anyone, not even just competition, just anyone tra- getting ready, right. for, you know, for training, whatever. It's like, okay, like, I need to find something, and, like, maybe, maybe I could have three or four things I'm working on just because maybe I'm not good enough initially to force the match. Right. Through. You know, like, if, if I'm new, if I'm, like, I've been training for six months or a year, I'm not good enough to, to you know, to, to funnel the match, the my role, wherever I want to be. You know, like right. once I've been trained 10 years, of course, you can, you can pretty much anyone, you're going to be able to funnel it. But right. before that happens, you got to have a couple of different options. And you kind of like just, you got to get those reps in. You know, how th- many reps can you get in? That's the thing, I think, with any endeavor that you're learning, especially later in life. It's like if you play a musical instrument, you don't. most people can't pick it up and jam right away. Just pick up a pick up guitar and start yeah, playing a song? Yeah, oh, they've got to play notes. they got to play scales, and they've got to break it down, and they've got to drill those, and they have to learn all that other stuff. And from those fundamentals come all of the other things after the fact. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned was that you were always in the gym doing those things. So I think that attendance and hard work are necessary, but they're not sufficient. It's the attendance, the hard work, and then having a game plan yep. on top you have of that. To, you have to be smart about what you're doing. I, I always talk about the lighthouse. I tell my guys, like, you need to have a lighthouse. What do you mean a lighthouse? I'm like, if I drop you out in the middle of the water in the dark, you have no idea where land is, you're just going to swim out in the middle of nowhere. You're going to go in circles and everything right. else. You need to find something that's going to be like a point of reference. You, know, you need to find that lighthouse, you need to swim for it. Even if it's really far away, it takes you a really long time, you will get to the lighthouse. If you can see the lighthouse, you will get to it. Right. But if you're just in the dark, you don't know if you're swimming towards land or swimming out deep in the deeper ocean. That's an awesome analogy. Um, it's like an hour and a half or something like that. So uh, we'll wrap it up here. Do you have any questions of me? Any advice I can offer to you? I got nothing. No. <laughs> I mean, I, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we, we're on the same page on just about everything. Yeah. You know, like, I think that, you know, we've been got, got my prep belt with John Clark. That's right. Um, that's right. I think my first class. And then yeah. I told my ACL the next day. So, I mean, maybe. Oh, really? Was, I think, yeah. Uh, next. I think it was that night, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't there. Yeah. For that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, you know, we're on the same page on pretty yeah. much everything. Like, we, we talk all the time. Cool, man. It was good to talk to you and um, appreciate you taking the time. No problem. Good awesome. Deal. That's it for today. Big thanks to Joe for donating some of his time to us. He and I probably could have gotten more in-depth on some of these issues and talked for hours, and I feel a little bit remiss for not debating fast food cheeseburger supremacy with Joe. Big shout-out to Guido for working the ones and twos and actually for driving us down here today. Kid's really coming into his own. If you're in Raynham, Mass., and you want to try martial arts, stop by Lowe's on MMA. Link is in the bio. But if you're in Boston, you might want to swing by Broadway Jiu-Jitsu. Don't forget to hit subscribe, do your push-ups, and drink your tequila. Until next time.